Hey, it's Greg Stanley. If you're listening to this podcast, you know I love everything automotive. This passion has expanded to include being a car specialist consultant for RM Sotheby's. So if you need assistance buying or consigning a collector car at any one of our online or live auctions, including Scottsdale, Amelia Island, or Monterey, you can reach one of our car specialists at rmsotheby's.com or you can email me directly at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com. This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Hey, auto enthusiasts, it's Greg Stanley. A few updates before we get to our Scottsdale review. A lot of exciting things are happening here. I guess the biggest announcement is, is I will start live streaming these podcast episodes soon. It probably won't be every episode, but you can follow me on Instagram and on Facebook to see when these live streaming events will occur. I'm planning on the very first one to occur this coming Monday, the 18th, probably around 5 p.m. or so, where I will cover Shelby market trends, and I will have a lot of cool graphs and data that you can visually see as I talk about it. Now, this will be unedited because it is live, and you will be able to comment and ask questions during the podcast, which I will address, and then I will post an audio-only edited version for the normal Thursday podcast. So if you missed a live streaming event, you can listen to the podcast on Thursday, and then you can go back to the YouTube channel to watch any of the information that you would like to see. Now, what's really exciting about this is I'm going to get some more folks involved in unique and fun ways So starting on January the 24th, the goal is to have a live streaming event that night to kick off the Collector Car Fantasy Football League. Now, this is something new and fun. It's basically fantasy football, but instead of a team, you have a collection. And instead of athletes, you have cars. So I have some fun folks from Haggerty that are participating as well as Arm Sotheby's. So you will see us discuss these cars and why we pick them and how we think they will appreciate over time. And uh, that should be a lot of fun. And then also in February... We will have McKeel Haggerty's Ultimate Garage episode. And then in March, we will have Wayne Carini's Ultimate Garage, both live streaming events. And then I also have a new series I'm going to start called Cars on the Rise, where I will pick out cars that I think will appreciate in the future based on the trends I see out there in the marketplace. So that will be something fun and new for all of you to hear. If you have any additional ideas or suggestions, feel free to shoot me a note at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com, and now off to Scottsdale. Well, I'd like to welcome Barney Ruprecht. Barney, how are you doing today? Fine, thanks. Yourself? Fine, I'm doing really well. Now, Barney is one of our first repeating guests on the Collector Car Podcast, so I appreciate you uh, jumping on the phone with us. I know we have Scottsdale coming up uh, here real soon, and I kind of wanted to get an overview of some of the cool cars that not only that you've consigned for the auction, but just some other ones that maybe caught your eye that are coming up in Scottsdale. So why don't you give us an overview of some of the cool cars uh, you're seeing that are showing up in Arizona? Yeah, happy to be here. Hunter, I'm one of the uh, first repeating guests. Thank you. (laughs) Um, You know, Arizona is always the kickoff to the annual auction season, I'll call it. And it never disappoints. And this year is very much the same. We've got a wide-ranging group of cars consigned with things like the homologation collection of 80s and 90s, you know, homologation specials, ranging to some pre-war classics, all the way to the latest and greatest supercar and hypercars with Koenigsegg, Ford GT, uh, McLaren Senna, things of that nature, and, of course, your, you know, tried and tested post-war sports cars in Jaguar D-Type. Right, yeah, I was looking at the uh, the offerings, and it's really kind of insane because 
I think of supercars, you know, all the cars you just kind of rattled off there. But we go back decades in offerings. I mean, there's a 1937 Bugatti Type 57 SC, which, you know, the argument can be made that was one of the first supercars back in the 30s. And then, like you said, we have the D-Type a couple decades later. We even have 60s muscle, 1965 GT3, I want to call it a supercar, but GT350 Shelby Mustang, which I've always loved. Uh, so, yeah, if you would, could you talk a little bit about the homologation cars? I know that's really catching a lot of our next generation uh, audience, catching their eyes. Uh, just kind of touch on those a little bit. Yeah, happy to. Uh, you know, as you say, it's certainly the cars of focus for the next generation and the younger collectors. And we've had tremendous interest in the collection. It's something I've been really uh, honored to be a part of with a great group of consigners there to assemble things. I had a hand in them acquiring one or two of them, and now I get to see it through with uh, their sale. And it's a wide-ranging group from, you know, a, a Fulvia all the way to, you know, the final, you know, true Lancia rally car in the uh, Delta Integrale Evo 2. Uh, and specifically what we have there is one of the Blue Lagos cars. So one of the uh, special livery, and I'll say it's catnip for collectors, and that, that <laughs> color is something they really chase. And, you know, I'm buried up to my eyeballs and inquiries on it. And, you know, we did a great film on it uh, out in California and really got to drive everything on the track and really see why these things went head-to-head in period with the M3 Sport Evolution through the 190E Evo 2 and kind of have the ability to go back-to-back with something really special. Right, yeah, it's very interesting because I grew up with these cars. I know you did as well, and to see them appreciate the way they have and the love for the Group B cars has been really interesting to see. And especially when you look at like the Audi Quattro and some of the Mercedes cars that, you know, if you're lucky back in the day, you could see them on the road and here they are coming up for sale as a collection. So that's really cool. And it's not all high dollar stuff either. I mean, the earliest one in this group is kind of the, uh, like you mentioned before, the 1972 Lancia and, and the Espen on that car is, you know, 30 to 40 grand. But then you go up to some of the bigger Mercedes cars that go up to 200 grand. So it looks like it's a little bit for everyone, correct? Yeah, it's a very, you know, wide-ranging group of prices and cars, and our estimates, I think, you know, reflect interest in that, you know, there's tremendous pre-sale attention on all of these cars, you know, especially the uh, the wide-body AMG, and, you know, we tried to price things, you know, as reflective as possible with current conditions. I think it just goes to show with the amount of interest we've had on these cars, I would not be surprised to see pretty much everything, you know, hopefully exceed estimate, you know, we're always looking for that extra bidder, but we've got tremendous interest in things, and, you know, the cars are really well uh, rounded out with great documentation throughout to prove their provenance and history, and uh, it's just a great group of collection that, you know, a, a team put together and, you know, honored to be a part of it. Right, yes, it's very nice, and I always like to look at, you know, what are the headlining cars and interestingly enough you mentioned actually we've mentioned both some both of them so far but you've got the jaguar d-type uh that estimate is well over five million dollars as well as the uh, bugatti the bugatti was right about in the five million dollar range so it'll be interesting to see how buyers respond to those because those obviously are not the next generation of collectors so to speak you know looking at the homologation cars but they they are in demand you know there's still a lot of folks looking for some of that original quote unquote performance cars from the 30s 40s and 50s so it's nice that we have those and then we even have an older ferrari 1954 ferrari 375 america coupe uh which is really cool 
so there really is a little bit of everything uh, out there for everyone. Now, if you would, did you have uh, do you have any knowledge or insight on like the 2019 Koenigsegg that's being offered? I love those cars. You know, I am generationally one of the you know the people that you know remembers the the first Koenigsegg coming out and thinking about those cars. And it's a it's a really interesting brand and car in that. To really, in my opinion, you know, Pagani has done the same thing here, but, you know, it's really one of the only modern car brands that has been successfully created in the modern era and is largely independent and have been able to compete with the legacy manufacturers. And in Koenigsegg's circumstance, I would say their engineering product and fit and finish is as good as anything out of, you know, Germany or Italy. It's a remarkable car in terms of performance. They're incredibly rare and limited. They're very hard to get a hold of. You'll see McLaren Senna is coming up for sale if you, you know, take a quick uh, scan of some of the uh, the internet sites. But you really won't find that many Koenigseggs, and you know they control the market very well. They're very limited supply, and they, you know, are really bought by true collectors uh, as original owners that you know want to use the car. And uh, what we have here is the uh, first example of the Regera to appear at public auction. Yeah, that's really cool. I've never seen one in person, so I'm excited to see it when I get out there to Arizona. And one of just eight examples produced over four years. So, yeah, like you said, it's very limited production run. And this one has over $200,000 worth of options. So that would be kind of neat to see that. The other one that's extremely rare and semi-new and very hard to get a hold of uh, is the new McLaren Speedtail. And I believe that was extremely limited production as well. And if you go back to my earliest podcast days, I would say second or third one, it's the car I predicted that Jay Leno would add to his collection, and he has yet to do so. So do you know much about the uh, McLaren Speedtail you can share with our listeners? Yeah, it's the you know spiritual successor to the F1 reimagined for modern times as the you know traditional F1 seating layout of three people driving in the center seat. Uh, with two passengers flanking on left and right. So it's a very practical car to go out to dinner in. You can take your friends and, you know, go grocery storing and put in the footwells. It's the first one, again, you know, to come up on the public market. They have only just started uh, customer deliveries here in the last couple months and weeks. Um, It'll be interesting to see what happens here in that all of them were pre-sold and they had more clients expressing interest than, you know, number of cars built, uh, which I believe was 106 total. So, this, I believe, is going to be one of those cars that's going to sell for more than the original purchase price or MSRP. And I love the cars. I think, you know, what they represent in terms of an engineering achievement with their top speed capabilities really is remarkable. If you look back, as you said, to some of the first supercars of Jaguar D-Type, which won Le Mans, you know, from an engineering product, you just see the night and day uh, between the two and how far we've come in terms of capability. Right. And it's interesting. You said, you know, we'll probably go over the original MSRP, which I would agree with. And, you know, on my podcast, I love talking market trends and kind of identifying what is kind of going up in the market, what is kind of going down in the market. And there are a few that are in this auction that I really want to keep an eye on. And for those of you who like to follow this type of stuff, be worthwhile to tune in and check it out online to see what these bring. And I'll just call them out here quickly. I already mentioned the 1965 Shelby GT350. Fascinating car, first car that Shelby really got his hands on from a mass production standpoint. And the Ford versus Ferrari effect, we'll see what that does. I know at Elkhart there was a GT350 Hertz car that exceeded my expectations by a long shot. 
Uh, typically, I would say those cars would normally sell in the 175 to 200 realm. And we had the estimate right on. It sold for 235 I think. And, you know, when you look at the Shelbys, the GT350s, the hierarchy, that's the first year, the first one. And then after that, I would say the rollover cars of 1966. And then after that, you get into the four-speed Hertz cars, which that was one of 80. So it will be, will be interesting to see if this GT350 run is still going uh, with that one at we, that we have at Scottsdale. And the estimate, I believe, is 350 to 400, which they typically trade in. So it'll be interesting to see if that holds true. The other one, which caught me by surprise at Elkhart, and we have another one coming up at this auction, is the 2011 Tesla Roadster. If you remember it at Elkhart, that one actually doubled the estimate, which blew my mind because I thought the estimate was strong. I want to say it was seventy-five dollars to $90,000, and it sold for like one twenty or something. Uh, any comments on the emerging trend of the hybrid cars coming into the collector car marketplace? Yeah, it's something I'm not scared of or shy away from. You know, I think electrification from a technology point of view simply is a better engineering solution to internal combustion with the access to torque. And, you know, it's clearly coming. It's not something we should be afraid of. When done properly, like the Tesla Roadster, you know, the market reflected that and it sold very well. As you said, I was equally surprised. I remember a client called me pre-sale Elkar being interested in it and having a bunch of questions, and I was kind of scratching my head about it. And then I thought about, you know, what else offers that level of driving dynamics on the electric or hybrid side? And really there isn't much there. Um, you know, we have a couple new product lines coming out with, you know, Pinnaferina and all electric things, but a Tesla Roadster was the first one to do it. And, you know, I have yet to get behind the wheel and experience it myself, but from owners and people that have driven it, I hear only good things. Right, and I remember at Elkhart, you know, the comment that I came away with on that particular car that doubled basically the low estimate was, you got to look at it. Did it disrupt the industry, which it did? I mean, it was a big player, kind of like the the Mini Cooper or the Model T when they came out. It really, truly disrupted the industry. It's a first-gen car, uh, and it's low mileage and in great shape. So how, how often do you find those things align uh, which will be really interesting to see that. Now, another car that I've called out before, or a group of cars I've called out before that I'm curious to see how they do, would be the early 2000s analog supercars that are still a manual shift. We do have a cool one at the auction, a 2000 Ferrari 550 Marinello, one of my favorite Ferraris of all time. Now, this one is estimate 150 to 200. And like I said, folks are looking for the analog supercars that are stick shift. And you really can put a big premium on having that manual gated shifter in there. And this is the one they have. It's red with tan interior, and it's a six-speed. And I think the estimate's right on. It's 150 to 200. I would have said a year ago, you know, I would have said the estimate would have been like 100 to 150. But they've really seemed to appreciate in the marketplace, along with some of the other cars of the same uh, type. Uh, what kind of trends are you seeing on those types of cars? Yeah, absolutely. As you say, you know, the, the trend lines are very positive on that. You know, the analog uh, drivable cars like the 550 uh, other examples uh, would be the later 575, of course, you know, then the later 599 GTBs. But, you know, they're really great cars. Anything of that era, and even today, just look at 911Rs and GT3 Tourings, what those do in the marketplace compared to their PDK counterparts. And you'll see that's what collectors want. And the whole trend today with the uh, global, you know, pandemic situation is people want accessible cars that they can get them and drive. You know, there's a limited number of events to go to. And even in normal times, you can't bring that same car to the same event every year. And 
people want something that they can get in and drive and experience as they should. And the you know gated shift manual cars are well positioned to fill that need going forward. Yep, I totally agree with that. And one car I'll call out just because I just think it's one of the prettiest cars ever built is the 1965 Aston Martin short chassis Volante. Uh, that is a really, really beautiful car, and uh, our estimate's 1.5 and up. Nice to see that car showing up at the auction. Obviously, everybody correlates the DB5 with James Bond, but if you take that away, it's just a wonderful, beautiful car. So it's really nice to see have that to see that one there. One of only 37 short chassis cars, and then the last one I kind of want to kind of want to bring up. I'm really curious to see how it does. It's the new Ford GT. Now this car has got a lot of press. It's a beautiful car. And uh, obviously, the two-year moratorium is over for uh, certain, I guess, all of the cars at this point, because it's 2021. And we have one of the rare lightweight versions. What are you expecting when that car hits the auction block in Scottsdale? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see in that, to my knowledge, it's the first lightweight example to come to you know the public markets. And you know it was an option that was made only available to select owners, so it wasn't something that was immediately accessible to anybody that got an allocation. Looking at the trend lines, you know, I remember, and this is very normal for the, these new production cars, you know, the first ones to come to market sell for, you know, the highest values. And then as things trickle on a secondary market, simple supply and demand takes over and the price falls a little bit. And while that's true, large in the Ford GT, I noticed uh, throughout last year a fairly steady value curve Still, you know, two or three hundred thousand dollars above the sticker price. You know, in between the seven hundred fifty and you know nine hundred thousand range uh, for final sale price. And you know, they're holding their value well. This one, you know, isn't just another one in different colors because of the lightweight options. And it really represents, you know, the ultimate for domestic U.S. production supercar and technology. Right, and it's a very beautiful color, kind of that dark Ford blue with some. I don't know if they're clear coat, but some like carbon fiber racing stripes or just black racing stripes, a very striking color. What does kill me is, is it only has 8.2 miles on it. So if that were my car, I would have put a couple hundred miles on it before I were, were to sell it for sure. So really, really beautiful car. And I guess the last one, I think I said that was my last one, but I do want to bring up one more here. I recently read an article in Haggerty that was pretty insightful. It was mostly, I guess, the car they use as an example or, or Porsches, but I think it applies across the board. Uh, and they were looking at what is the value of the color of paint. And what was fascinating, and I'm referencing our yellow Ferrari Enzo here, is that when you look at the data, at least in their snapshot, compared to average value, average resale value, the number one color for resale value, or the percent above resale value, was the uh, was yellow, which totally shocked me. Warmer colors uh, actually uh, traditionally sold better than neutral or cool colors. Uh, do you have much insight as far as this particular Ferrari Enzo as our last car that we will uh, review? Yeah, it's very interesting. As you say, I'm, I was also equally you know, surprised to hear that. A slight caveat in that, uh, just as an example, you'd think that yellow is more common than it is, but I recently completed a private sale on a Porsche 918 with my colleague Alexander Weaver. And while yellow in the Porsche catalog is you know, open to normal selection, it's not paint to sample, only five U.S. cars were painted in that color, and we were able to sell it for a substantial premium. So it doesn't surprise me at all that when yellow cars come available, it's usually an option that's available uh, when new, but very, very few cars end up selecting it. And here in this case in the Enzo, 
I've only ever seen one other car in flesh in yellow. In my personal opinion, it's the best color on the Enzo because you really get to see all the lines and angles with it that get lost with darker colors. And this one in particular is a great car, you know, known ownership from new. Uh, in my opinion, it's not so low mileage, it's travesty where you can't drive it. And equally, it's low enough where value-wise collectors can still feel good about the car. And we set the, at the time, the, the world record for highest price ever for an online auction with a, uh, a red Enzo uh, last year. And uh, we hope to continue uh, the positive results we've had with the cars. Very beautiful. I would imagine, you know, if I were buying that kind of car for that kind of money, I don't know that I could pull the trigger on yellow. But then once you see it, you're like, oh, I should have done that. And, and like you said, there's a smaller pool of cars in which to come from. So it probably even skews the data a little bit in the higher direction just because there's less cars to affect the numbers. So very, very true. So uh, one thing that's interesting about this auction is it's transitioning from being held at the Biltmore to the Auto Car Club, which I've never been there. Can you tell us a little bit about that forum? Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful facility. It is the premier storage facility in the area. Uh, we've moved there uh, for a variety of different reasons, mainly being the Biltmore is not open today uh, with the uh, current travel situation in the, the hotel industry, which is unfortunate. But we're very excited to have a partner in the Auto Car Club. We've got something like 80 cars consigned to the sale. It will all be beautifully laid out there. Limited attendance. Uh, it will be the first live sale conducted in uh, 2021. And uh, we're very excited to kick off the auction calendar. Right. Yes. Unfortunately, uh, it's been scaled down Scottsdale in general from the number of events. But I'm glad to see that we're still out there and having a live event for our customers to really get together and enjoy in a safe environment. So that's really, really great. Now, as you know, the last thing I like to do on this podcast is to play a little game I call Keep Cashing Crush. I can't recall. Did I stump you last time or was it fairly easy? Do you recall? I believe I was pretty immediate with my decision. See, that's not good. I'm not doing very well. I have like three in a row. <laughs> Last week was Gord, and he, he got it pretty quick. So we'll see. Let's see if I can make this a little bit harder on you. I've really got to really ramp up here a little bit. All right, so uh, because I know you're very familiar with these cars, I am picking three cars from the Homologation Collection. So the Oof. three cars I'm going to... Oh, good. I had you pause for a second right off the bat, so that's great. All right, so the three cars I'm going to pick is the 1989 Mercedes 560 SEC AMG 6.0 wide body, about the longest title in the world. The next one I will pick is the 1990 BMW M3 Sports Evolution. And then the third car I'm going to pick is the 1990 Mercedes-Benz, yes, two Mercedes-Benz, Mercedes 190E 2.5 Evolution 2, another really long name. So those are the three cars. You have to pick one to keep forever, one to cash in, and then one to send to the crusher. So the 1989 Mercedes, the 1990 BMW, and then the 1990 Mercedes. So how are you going to pick? Oh, this is a very difficult answer for me. <laughs> awesome. I'm not really sure how I can justify it, but I'll give it my best shot. I'm All right. definitely going to keep the uh, 89 Mercedes 560 AMG simply because that's such an iconic car. Um, you know, it's just got a presence about it. It looks like nothing else. And the, you know, the famous, you know, dual overhead cam, uh, six liter AMG motor. I have to keep that one. Um, I would say I would then 
cash in the uh, Mercedes 190 Evo 2 simply because the market on those has just been tremendous and it could raise some funds to buy something else and they're just great <laughs> cars. I don't think I could actually drive it around with that big wing. It's a little boy racer for me, but um, I do love the cars. Um, and then that sadly leaves the uh, BMW M3 Sport Evo to the crusher and nothing against the cars. They're, you know, probably one of the best things, you know, to own as a driver's car. Um, I am, I owned a 2002 many years ago. Um, so I get the virtues of BMW and the ultimate driving machine, but, uh, in this scenario, I don't have a, I don't, I don't have an extra space in the garage. So that one's got to go. Okay. All right. Well, for our listeners, if you listen to Gord's interview a few weeks ago, he also, he had different cars, but one car that was similar was 89 Mercedes. He also picked that as his keep. So you have two car specialists at RM Sotheby's picking the same car to keep. So, in my mind, I need to buy that car as well because something's going on with those cars. So that's great. Okay. Well, I'm glad I made it a little bit harder on you. And I know throughout this podcast, it seems like I've been saying I've never seen that car before. I've never been to that place before. One thing I have done, and uh, for listeners, you can go to my Instagram feed to check it out, scroll through back a little bit. But I did get a ride in a 1990 BMW M3 Evo, and uh, it was taken to Redline numerous times. So that's not something that happens every day. So that was really cool. So check that out. All right, Barney, well, thank you so much for your time today. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about the auction? Yeah, go to our website at rmsotheby's.com. Look at uh, upcoming auctions. You'll find Arizona there, and you'll get all the facts and figures uh, available. The sale takes place on January 22nd, and uh, we'd be excited to have you participate. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Barney. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast. Podcast.